This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two, Sportsman Today is underway. Logan Gordon along with you. Coming at you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Here in chilly Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Cam and Taylor, the outstanding production duo in the other room. Still lots to get to this hour, including a look at the opposition tomorrow for the Calgary Flames. Saturday night showdown. Against the Colorado Avalanche. Talk to Katie Gauze about that next. She's a uh, Avalanche reporter for Altitude TV. And we'll take a look at uh, some of the latest storylines around the Colorado Avalanche. But before we do that, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Chat some NHL topics. Trade deadline just a week away. So a perfect time to bring in Jason Bukala, former NHL scout. And writer for Sportsnet.ca. Jason, thanks so much for doing this today, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. It's uh, it's not any warmer here in London, Ontario. I'll tell you, I'm ready for winter to be over. <laughs> yeah, we got the same feeling here. Uh, once it uh, you get in Alberta, you have a couple of these uh, Chinooks every now and then that give you hope that spring's around the corner, and then you get uh, reminded very quickly that yeah, it's it's still minus forty and it still sucks outside. Yeah, I, I, hear you. I hear you. I've been out there many a time where I'm like, really? Yeah, oh, it gets old pretty fast. Uh, Jason, uh, good news for us, though. we got lots to uh, to talk about as we're a week away uh, from the NHL's trade deadline. You've got uh, a couple pieces up at sportsnet.ca uh, that I wanted to uh, pick your brain about. And the latest one comes yesterday in a, a bit of a pivot move by the Boston Bruins. We thought for sure it was Vladislav Gavrikov from the Columbus Blue Jackets that was the apple of the eye for the Boston Bruins. That changed yesterday when they made a deal with the Washington Capitals uh, to bring in Dmitry Orloff and Garnet Hathaway. Why did this make sense for the Boston Bruins rather than going down the route with Columbus? Cost. I think it's plain and simple. I mean, I, I'm on record as being one of the guys that uh, the Gabrikov thing, and I don't. Maybe you feel the same way. It, it just seemed like it grew legs and, and more and more momentum, and potentially, I guess, the momentum is still there heading into next week. But when I heard last week what the ask was, which was I think a first, a third, and a fourth, or a first, second, and a fourth, something like that, um, you know, it, it gets very expensive, especially when the athletes on record say that. He has no intention in signing an extension wherever he goes at the deadline. He's going to take some time after that to uh, kind of take a look at it. So I actually like the trade that they made yesterday, the Bruins um, with Orlov and Hathaway coming in. I like that deal better anyways. I think that uh, on balance that brings uh, even more depth to an outstanding roster. Yeah, the Bruins sure look like a juggernaut right now. They've been the best team in the NHL for a you know extended period this season, and it sure feels like you know Don Sweeney and that group, Jason, have a pretty good understanding that David Pasternak's going to be an expensive re-signing for this group, and you don't get Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, 
you know, being this successful at this age for very long. And this is a group that they're ready to support in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, this might be that lightning in a bottle moment for this group. You know, this might be the swan song, if you will. And it's, uh, you know, it's just good business. I mean, going forward, um, who knows what's going to happen with the, you know, those the real high-end veteran guys that are, you know, could be aging out of their careers. It, it almost feels like if they went on a, a deep run and, you know, hoisted a Stanley Cup this year, that, that, that maybe that group would say, okay, you know, enough. I've, I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. But, He's positioned himself well, you know, to uh, re-sign Pasternak going forward. And, uh, you know, the good news and the bad news is that uh, the, the cap's going to be going up. The bad news, of course, it's not going to be going up uh, quickly enough for some of these teams to, to get uh, some of these guys under a number in year one that they might uh, they might want. But uh, they can't afford to lose Pasternak going forward. He's part of the culture. He's the new uh, He's part of the new core, the guy that will carry the torch moving forward up front there with that team. And, um, real smart move, real savvy move by the Boston Bruins. I mean, uh, just to put it in perspective real quick, like when you bring Garnet Hathaway in, he immediately comes in. Like Connor Clifton was a leading hitter. I believe he was somewhere around 151 hits going into uh, yesterday's game in Seattle. You add Hathaway to your lineup right away, he's got like 191 or 199 hits. You know, so right away, you know, he starts to take some of that stress off some other guys on the roster and he just plays that filthy, mean, in-your-face type of style. Uh, I really like it. It's fun to watch. Uh, from a Washington perspective, I'm curious how you see this one. It's a tough race in the Eastern Conference. There's so many teams fighting for those last two wildcard spots in the East, Jason. And look, it's been a tough year for Washington. They've had some injuries there. Nick Backstrom still working his way back from a major injury. It feels like, well, yes, they're probably punting on this season. It still feels like a a good piece of work by Brian McClellan to get some assets back for some pending UFAs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got guys that are going UFA and who knows what their plan was for them or at 31. You know, he might be a, he might be a guy that returns to the roster. I don't know what the plan is there. Hathaway is a, you know, is a role player. So, you know, when you can get assets at the deadline for pending UFAs, the way Washington has here, uh, it's just good business. And, when you look across their draft grid, you know, they they were pretty thin, to be honest with you. You know, like they don't have a third this year. They don't have a sixth this year. And I reference this year's draft more than even drafts going forward, only because the depth of the 2023 draft in relation to, you know, what we know so far for next year, um, it's not apples to apples. It's like this is a very deep draft class. So when you can add another first-round pick in 2023, uh, that can expedite your uh, – you know, your retool, if you will. Um, and if they don't make playoffs, you know, their second round pick, you know, it's going to be in the middle of the second round. So they're going to have three picks, call it in the top, I don't know, 46, 47, something like that. So it's, it's a good piece of work for him. Uh, one of your latest pieces at sportsnet.ca yesterday centered around Timo Meyer. Uh, for a lot of people, Jason, he's still the big acquisition sitting out there for somebody looking to make a big splash at this year's trade deadline. If somebody is going out and willing to pay a price for Timo Meyer, what kind of player are they getting uh, in return? Well, the obvious is his offense, and we know that he's a goal scorer. So, you know, he's, he's on pace to score 40-plus this year. You know, I guess you could almost argue that if he was on a uh, on, on more of a juggernaut team called Colorado, uh, you know, Toronto, you know, like a high-scoring outfit, um, 
uh, he would probably be a 50 goal guy. Um, but having said that, you know, I think he's got 31 in 57. He's really dangerous on the power play. He's a shoot first guy on the power play. Um, actually, he's a shoot first guy all over the ice. When he gets a look, he's getting pucks to the net. He's second in the league with his, uh, uh, you know, shots on goal attempts this year. I think he's around 260, somewhere in that range. So that's a lot. I mean, um, he's a play driver when you look at it that way. The one thing that you have to be cognizant about, though, is that Timo Meyer off the puck, and when he's tracking back, uh, supporting on the back check, he's not the most energetic guy. Like, he's got a lot of glide to his game, and uh, there's some holes that way. So whoever acquires the player at the deadline are going to have to accept some of his warts and, uh, and, you know, bank on his offense as being, you know, obviously the most viable asset to the lineup, the ad. Uh, but there's going to be nights where you want more out of him off the puck and defensively. He's not going to kill penalties. Um, and it's a little odd because for a guy that, that can play heavy hard in the trenches, you know, if he could just get 10 or 15% more of him on the defensive side, he'd be a more well-rounded player. In your piece, you, you go through some hypothetical scenarios of teams of what the deal might look like for Timo Meyer. That sort of stuff aside, Jason, I know it's tricky with that, um, you know, big qualifying offer that he has. Is there a team that you look at that you really think this is a great fit for Timo Meyer? This is where I'd like to see him end up at this year's trade deadline? Well, I, you know, for a variety of reasons, us being in Canada, I'd like him to be on uh, a Canadian franchise if possible. <laughs> you know, I, I obviously pull for our, our you know, our, our teams up here, but yeah. you know, I did mention the Winnipeg Jets in there. Um, you know, I, I just feel like the Winnipeg Jets, um, I, I, I want to be politically correct when I say this. I want to say they owe it to the fans, but at the same time, I feel like they owe it to the fans, if you know what I mean. Like, yep. uh, I feel like it's a good team. I feel like they got a, a, a great goaltender who's, uh, you know, a Vezina quality type of candidate this year. Morrissey on the back end having a Norris trophy kind of a season. And the reality for me is that like Pierre-Luc Dubois, you hear the noise around him that he's not likely going to want to sign an extension in Winnipeg, but you still have control of the player. So, in a nutshell, this team might not get much better right going forward than it is right now. So let's take a risk. Like, let's just go all in on this. Let's add somebody like Meyer. Um, he's going to add another component to the group. And, uh, you know, the cost is going to be dear. I get that. But the worst case scenario here is that at trades or going forward, because they do control the players, there's going to be 31 teams lining up for those players. You understand? So you're going to be able to recoup some of your assets that you spent at the trade, at the trade deadline to bring a Meyer in. So if Meyer doesn't want to sign and Luke Dubois doesn't want to sign, you still got control. You can make a decision on the fly, but you know, you're going to be able to get some real good assets back. Who knows? I mean, you qualify them at 10 and then a year from now, um, you know, somebody else is in the Meyer sweepstakes and we're already seeing what the cost looks like now. So I'm looking for Winnipeg to hopefully make a splash. Um, I'd really like to see that happen for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and then the other real good fit, I think, is Carolina. I don't think there's anybody that would doubt that Carolina is in the mix, uh, but I'm not so sure that uh, the way they run their organization that they want to spend what the uh, what the uh, San Jose Sharks are looking for. So we'll see. You know, it's going to be interesting how it plays out in the next week. Uh, Minnesota Wild, Toronto Maple Leafs meet up tonight uh, in a game that Minnesota desperately needs to pick up two points, but it looks like it's going to be harder to pick up those two points against a Toronto team that looks like uh, early results have paid off so far with Ryan O'Reilly 
and Nolachari coming into that lineup. You had talked about it a bit in you know in terms of what the Maple Leafs were getting and how defensively you know adept O'Reilly is, but he's really been a, a good early fit for this Maple Leafs team. And it doesn't sound as though they're done experimenting with where he can play. It's the versatility that makes Ryan O'Reilly such an interesting fit for this Leafs team. Hey, Jason. I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, when you add a guy like a Ryan O'Reilly, so when you start ticking off the box strategically, when you're, when you're trying to put your team up on the board, you know, so can we count on him for in key defensive zone faceoffs? Absolutely. Will he block shots on the penalty kill for sure? Um, can you match up against the top six uh, forwards on the road who have, you know, on the road in the playoffs, obviously the home team has last change. Are you comfortable with the matchup? And again, the answer is yes. And then behind the scenes, you start to feel it back. Okay. Leadership in the room, been there, done that, you know, one, you know, Stanley cups and, you know, it, it's, it's or pardon me, Stanley cup. And it's just a good fit across the right across the landscape. It also moves Tavares to the wing. Um, uh, you know, Tavares is an average NHL skater. He's not a guy that transports the puck between the blue lines. He's not a transition threat, but he's real good in the faceoff thought as well. So O'Reilly gets tossed out. You're still getting a guy that's, you know, 58, 59%. He slides in there and you can still win a draw, run a set play. Um, and then, of course, Tavares from the hash marks down in the offensive zone. That's where he does his best work. That front, you know, one of the best tippers of the or in the league right now, you know, uh, high slot, middle slot on the power play, tipping pucks and, so what do you get? You get O'Reilly in all situations. And then, you know, you back it up with the Achari, which I almost, I'm a little bit old school. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sound like a dinosaur here, but I still do like uh, rough and tumble hockey. Yep. And, um, you know, Achari is a heavy hitter. And, um, you know, he makes people around him feel a little bit uh, more confident in their skates. And, uh, and listen, he can do a lot of heavy lifting. He can win draws. He's a shot blocker on the penalty kill. And worst case scenario, you're struggling and you want to simplify your power play. I mean, you know, I'm not saying this is going to happen. But what I'm saying is that it's an option to throw a heavy guy, as we've seen many years in hockey, out front the net on the power play and create that distraction. He can even do that for you. So real nice depth add for the Leafs. Uh, Minnesota's in tough. Uh, uh, I know our friends there in Calgary, though, uh, are hoping for the Leafs to, to come out of this one with a regulation win and uh, Minnesota not take any points out of this. Yeah, absolutely. And Jason, that's just where we're going to go next. Uh, you've been doing a, a look at all the Canadian teams across the NHL and what uh, they might uh, be exploring ahead of the NHL's trade deadline. And, of course, the Calgary Flames uh, coming up just a couple of days ago for you. And I, I won't give it all away. I want people to go to uh, to .ca, sportsnet.ca, and read the article for themselves. But uh, a couple of key pieces, and I know you've been on different shows here uh, for Sportsnet 960 and talked about this, but uh, a lot of your piece, and you know it as well as anybody, you know, looking at guys like Jonathan Huberto and Nazem Kadri as guys that still have more to give for this Calgary team, and that can make things like a trade deadline, you know, difficult for Brad Treliving because does he need to go out and buy and add pieces, or does he simply need some of the pieces that he has in house to do a little bit more? Both. Yeah, you know that, that's that's the short answer mm -hmm. is both. Um, you know, if we start about what or if we start with what he has in house, um, I've been around Hubert O for ten years, so I've seen him grow into the league and and you know obviously spike uh, most recently. Uh, you know, with his offensive production, um, he's always been a pass first kind of a guy, shoot second, and it's a little bit puzzling because he can actually really shoot the puck, um, but it's just the way he's programmed. You know, he looks to make plays. Having said that. 
uh, he hasn't been good enough. I mean, you know, if I was sitting here with Jonathan and we were having a coffee, I'd say the same thing to him. You know, like, we need more out of you, and, and that's just the bottom line. And he knows it, too. Like, this is a quality. He's, he's a character person, so he's feeling the heat as well. But that's the bottom line. I mean, this is he's supposed to be their go-to guy, their best player offensively, and uh, and they need more out of him. And even last night in Vegas, I think we would all agree there was a couple of times, even though he scored the goal, there was a couple of times where, again, he looked off, you know, on, on some chances to get pucks to the net. And somehow it's like a golfer with the yips, you know. you got to break it somehow. And, and, you know, I'm hoping that that, that happens. Um you know, they could get more out of Naz. I don't think Naz is necessarily an 80-point guy or a 70-point guy, but we need Naz and Cater to be a 55 to 65 in his best years, and we need him to be nasty. We need him to get back to playing that kind of nasty um, game that opens up even more space for him to produce offensively. Um, so adding a guy to the deadline, you know, I still feel like last year, and maybe you can let me know what you think, but, like when I watched them last year on the back end come playoffs, like when they had Zadarov and uh, and Gutty playing with each other, mm-hmm. like I just knew I just knew it was mean, heavy, hard. You know what I mean? And, yep. Um, I feel like the team, I'm I'm struggling on, on a night to night basis trying to figure out how they identify as a unit. And so I'd, I'd like to see them add a little bit more uh, veteran presence and a little bit more meat and potatoes back into the lineup because it just feels like it's missing this year. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure, and I think we've seen some examples of it, even going back to that game a few weeks ago, Jason, that everyone talked about out of the All-Star break and when they played the New York Rangers, and they had some of that that bite to their game, and you saw guys like Zadorov getting involved, and I'm not saying it's all about the the after-the-whistle stuff, but it certainly feels like a group that is more engaged when that stuff is a little bit more prevalent, you know, when that, and I'm sure as a scout, you've seen that for many years that, you know, just that little extra tug getting you into the game, whatever it comes from, uh, some teams certainly benefit from it. And I can see a flames group that sometimes when they don't have that edge to their game, that they miss it a lot. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I actually thought that was going to be a, a jumping off point, that Rangers game, you know, and then there was a lot of build up to when the Rangers came to town in Calgary. And, um, you know, sometimes the best thing that can happen to a team is is exactly a game like that. You know, uh, borderline in our t- in the way hockey's played today, that's about as rough as it can get, right? Like it doesn't, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like it was in the '80s or anything like that. And you think it would energize and it would take you know some momentum through a week or two, but again, the team is just finding ways not to um, string consistent efforts together. Um, and I'm not buying the back-to-back six o'clock start tired stuff anymore. Like these are elite athletes getting paid a lot of money at the most important time of the year. I I'm sorry. Like, you know, uh, somebody's uh, there's, there's a surgeon up at the children's hospital today in Calgary who worked the long shift yesterday and he's going right back in there today to do his job and do it very well to save somebody's life. And I know that's a different perspective, but what I'm trying to tell you is you just have to get it done. Don't you? Like yep. you have to step up, you have to get it done. And, you know, last night uh, they lost momentum in the third period. I really liked their game for two periods. Um, and then, you know, terrible line change in overtime. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, an untimely goal in the third period. These are these are all the stories that we just keep talking about uh, all the time with Calgary this year. And it's getting late. It's getting to the point where we gotta we have to find a way out of it. We have to stop talking about it. So um, I, I, I do want to say this, though, because I, I don't want to be remiss. I, 
Uh, I love the the youth, uh, the enthusiasm that Walker Dewar and Jacob Pelche are bringing yes. to the lineup right now. Um, uh, the speed, the tenacity. Like Walker Dewar is six two two ten, and when he comes off the uh, off the flank last night, driving to the net, which I thought was a marginal penalty. I thought he got kind of, you know, tugged sideways going to the net or whatever. But I don't know. I think it's McNabb maybe. Yeah. Um, but. I think we would all agree that the enthusiasm and the drive from those two guys uh, here most recently, um, hopefully that uh, it looks like it could be infectious. So let's hope so. It sure does. And it looks like too, you know, even going back to to Jonathan to have, you know, a guy like uh, Jacob in the lineup, it's really, you've seen it. It hasn't been hard from here in Calgary, Jason, to see uh, a guy like Jonathan Huberto taking Jacob under his wing and, you know, really forming a connection with the young man there. And I think that that's been something that, that Jonathan's needed, right? There's a lot of attention, a lot of negativity when you're not winning and you're not, you know, performing up to expectations. But to have little things like that where you can come in and help a young guy, you know, through his first NHL goal and through all those moments can be big for NHL teams. It absolutely can. And I have seen that. I've seen that uh... – like, I don't know that anybody in the league right now, like, I think back to when Ovi came into the league, uh, you know, how animated he was when he created something offensively. Yeah. is not going to be, you know, Ovechkin-like. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. What I'm saying is that does anybody celebrate with more enthusiasm than Jacob Pelche when things go right? I mean, it's awesome to watch. It's actually a lot of fun. It is. It is. He's certainly become a fan favorite. Uh, here in Calgary very quickly, and we're excited to see where the rest of the season goes. Uh, with Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, sportsnet.ca. Uh, one guy I wanted to ask you about before we let you go here, Jason, was Mackenzie Weger. Uh, you mentioned him in your, your depth uh, breakdown of the Calgary Flames, and um, it hasn't been the same for Mackenzie Weger. It's been a, a transition, of course, but I think uh, a lot of people, and some people in Calgary have brought this up too, for Mackenzie, the biggest transition has been playing on his offside this year, and while the results are still good for him, I don't know if people understand watching the game, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, just how big of an ask it is for a guy to play on his opposite side. Could you sort of speak to that a bit and just how how difficult it is to do what McKenzie or what lots of skilled NHL defensemen do when they switch sides? So it's interesting because Weeks, uh, when he first uh, you know arrived on our roster in Florida, he played a strong side. But uh, through the kind of uh, maturation of our roster there and just out of need, he ended up playing the left side a lot with uh, Aaron Eckblad in Florida. So um, it's a very difficult transition, and here's why. Because when you're you're coming through the ranks as a player, your body mechanics are programmed a certain way as a defender. So if you're gapping up on the strong side, which is obviously his right side, everything's in front of you, your pivots are to the right, your stick positioning, um, your retrievals are generally on your forehand or it's a backhand chip, right? So now when you go on the left side, everything changes. And people will say, well, it's the, you know, he's an NHL athlete. That, that should just come to you uh, second nature. Try it. Anybody who thinks they're a good skater, just go out and skate the circles one way and then skate them the other way. And you're going to feel the difference in your body mechanics. Having said all that, he's capable of doing it. He's done it in the past. He's done it much better than he's done it this year. He's capable of being a better player. Simple as that. I'm not letting him off the hook here. He's played about 21 minutes a night. When he was in Florida, he was upwards of about 26. The one thing with McKenzie is, and I, even last night I saw a few mistakes that I didn't like. The one thing with McKenzie is the more ice time you give him, the better he actually is. His tired brain 
makes less mistakes because he doesn't try and overplay situations. It's like one of those less is more type of scenarios. Mm-hmm. So if, if they're not going to give him 25 minutes, then figure it out at 21 and get better. Jason, really appreciate the times. I know it's busy times with everything going on around the league, but uh, thanks so much for joining us, giving us some perspective. Really do appreciate your time this afternoon, man. Anytime. Stay warm. Have a great weekend. Yes, you too. Take care. Jason Bukala joining us on the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline, former NHL scout. Uh, you can find his latest up at sportsnet.ca, uh, in-depth analysis on the Orlov trade uh, between the Capitals and the Bruins. He's gone across the NHL for the Canadian franchises, uh, in-depth look at what each team needs ahead of the trade deadline, including your Calgary Flames, who we just talked about a bit there. And uh, Jason spent lots of time in the Florida Panthers organization. So uh, when he talks about Jonathan Huberto and he talks about Mackenzie Weger, uh, there's a guy with firsthand knowledge of two very important members of the Calgary Flames. And we'll see uh, both of them back in action tomorrow on a game day against the Colorado Avalanche. Thanks to Jason for joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline one more piece of business to get to on this friday afternoon let's take a look at the flames opposition tomorrow the colorado avalanche they are fighting for a playoff spot but potentially getting healthier what might they do ahead of an nhl trade deadline lots to get to when it comes to the ads we'll talk to katie gods about that next here on sportsnet 960 the fan you're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Logan Gordon along with you. Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 960. Home of the Calgary Flames. Flames off today following a loss last night in overtime to the Vegas Golden Knights. They will end off their road trip tomorrow evening with a matchup against the Colorado Avalanche, who are in action tonight. They are in Winnipeg getting set to take on the Jets. So one of those rare opportunities where the Calgary Flames will actually be uh, the more rested bunch. They're in Denver waiting the arrival of their opponent tomorrow. And uh, as we like to do here on the show, uh, ahead of a Flames matchup, we uh, do a look at the opposition. And today... Uh, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in reporter for the Colorado Avalanche at uh, Altitude TV. Katie Goss joins us this afternoon. Katie, thanks so much for doing this. How are you? Hey, Logan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing very well. Getting ready for yet another back-to-back. <laughs> yes, uh, the classic NHL uh, back-to-back. I was just saying there, the unusual one for Colorado. Usually when you're the home team on a Saturday, you would expect your opponent to be busy on the Friday, but it doesn't work that way for Colorado. They've got the Jets tonight. Yeah, it's actually it's funny. We've been kind of on the tough end of the stick lately because it's the last few times we've come home from a trip. The other team has been waiting for us, so definitely not the most fun situation to be in, but I guess you'll say we're definitely going to be warmed up for tomorrow. Uh, let's talk about this Avalanche team, 6-2-2 two and two in their last 10, coming on a three-game winning streak. They picked up an OT win against the Oilers. They beat the Blues. They beat the Wild. Uh, and Gabe Landeskog back on the ice. It looks like his return might be sooner rather than later. It feels like the Avalanche really making a good push here at the right time when it comes to making a, a push for the playoffs, Katie. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think a major part of that is kind of what you mentioned. You know, we, we obviously have seen Gabe back on the ice and, of course, hoping he's ready to go as soon as possible. But in general, this second half of the season has seen a lot of guys coming back. And I think that's where some of the success lately has come from. Teams being able to build chemistry for the first time. I know we're missing Kale still, but we get Josh Manson back. We've got Nichushkin back. There's a lot of pieces that I think are, are coming into play that are starting to build. I think we lost Katie there. We will uh, effort to get Katie back in just a moment there. Uh, but yeah, as we were just talking about, you know, Katie mentioned the injuries for this avalanche team have been the biggest story this year, bar none. You're talking key members of the team. You're talking really important members of the team. Uh, you know, Gabriel Landeskog has just returned to the ice. How long he's going to be? We've still got to wait and see. I think we've got Katie back on the line. Katie, sorry about that. We got you back now? Yeah, not sure what happened there. Sorry. No, not a problem. This is live radio. We get used to it every now and then. Uh, you were just in the midst of, of talking to us about some of the new combinations and the guys coming back that have yeah. really bumped the abs of late. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just you know, the consistency of getting a little bit more comfortable with a lineup that has, for the most part, stayed consistent. They're, you know, you're getting to build that chemistry with line pairings that are actually sticking together for more than one or two games. Um, there's just an overall confidence, I think, in the room where, you know, the injuries haven't necessarily been a crutch as much as they were earlier in the season. And again, I, I also think it's just levels of comfort with each other, particularly the goaltending has been something that these last few six successful games have really stood out. Georgiev has sort of come into his own as that number one. Uh, Frankie's obviously back out again, but Georgie is really kind of taking ownership of that starting goalie role. And we've seen the confidence winning us some games that Minnesota one in particular, where he made 41 saves really stood out as a game changer coming in off of a back-to-back and having him perform the way he did was huge. But I definitely think that finally getting a little bit of a break from the injury bug and just getting some consistency and some chemistry built up amongst this lineup has really made a difference. Uh, You mentioned him there as one of the key guys that's been out the last little bit for the avalanche. And that's uh, a fan favorite here in Calgary. Uh, despite how good he's been against the Flames, uh, Kale McCarr is a favorite here in Calgary, and we're always keeping up with what's going on with Kale and obviously hoping the best when it comes to his injury situation. But I'm curious, Katie, who steps up the most for the Avalanche when a guy like Kale goes down? Because he's so important. We know how dynamic a skater he is and how he's kind of Mr. Everything for the Colorado Avalanche. That's got to be a big loss for the team. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you don't just replace Makar with one person. It's definitely completely by committee. Uh, That being said, we have really seen some great performance, especially during his absence from Devon Taves, who's really done a great job of not just logging bigger minutes, but stepping up and being the quarterback, quarterback for that first power play unit. He maybe isn't getting on the score sheet every night, but the things that he's doing well, just the consistency that he's bringing shift in and shift out has been noticeable, especially with Kale not being in there. But, you know, even said, it's kind of like I you know, mentioned, it's by committee. The whole decor kind of has to step up. Getting Josh Manson back was huge. I think you'd see a really different avalanche team if we were missing Kale and Manson right now, especially with Eric Johnson being out of the mix. 
Um, but Sam Gerard has done a great job. Bo Byram has really elevated his game. He scored twice the other night. So you're sort of seeing, again, everyone doing little things to step up and fill that void. But, of course, you can't replace a guy like Kale. And Coach told us the other day before they left for the trip that he's skating, he's making progress, everything's looking good. It's really all you can ask for because we want him back as soon as possible. And that's so tough for the Avs because you talked about it there. And, you know, it's been – if it hasn't been a key player here, it's been a key player there. And just as you're starting to get healthy and Landeskog is maybe on the horizon of a return, you lose a guy like Kale. I mean – at the same time, you've got to kind of be used to it if you're Colorado, but at the same hand, you're like, oh, gosh, another key guy goes down for this team. Yeah, it really, we, we started like jokingly, but not jokingly because it's not fun. <laughs> like we need to get a board up that's like days without injury and we just keep having to put zero. It's very frustrating, but, you know, I guess you've got to speak to the resiliency of the team. Jared Bednar in particular has done an awesome job this year coaching with at times a very unique lineup. We've been doing the seven D11 forwards a lot, really just whatever it takes to get the job done. And everyone has been stepping up. We've had more players used this season than any other time in franchise history. Wow. We're at like 40 something. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, so you have to give the boys credit to be in the position that they are uh, given all of the adversity they've faced. One of the guys that has been very consistent for the team this year. And I, I wonder if he gets enough credit league wide. He certainly Gets a lot of credit from me. I was up in the press box when Colorado was here in January, and he just continues to impress every time I see him. Can you talk to me a bit about Miko Rantanen and just how good he is for this team? And, you know, I kind of think of him as one of those unsung heroes in Colorado because we talk about Makar and we talk about McKinnon, and rightfully so, but Miko Rantanen's been pretty dang important to what they're doing this year as well. Oh, absolutely, especially earlier on in the year, especially with the time McKinnon did lose. Miko single-handedly was full moose mode and putting the team on his back a lot of nights. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. We we even spoke about it when we were down at the All-Star game. He is easily one of the most underrated players in the league. You don't hear his name nearly enough considering the body of work that he puts together year in and year out. But this year by far has seen him kind of take that next step playing with more confidence than you know anyone's really seen before. He just hit 200 career goals. He's he's certainly doing basically everything that he can. And even recently, we were just talking about this with Coach, he kind of did hit what we would, I guess, consider a little bit of a slump when he wasn't scoring every single night, <laughs> if that's what you really want to call a slump for a yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, but again, that just speaks to kind of how he's been able to elevate the players around him and, and the inconsistency of who his line mates have been. He's really found some good chemistry with Evan Rodriguez. We've seen JT Comfort doing a great job filling that second center role that we lost thanks to Calgary taking <laughs> Nazem Kadri. So uh, I'd say that with the circumstances of the year, Miko has kind of elevated himself just on his own. It hasn't been about who's playing with him. It's just about his game and, and his confidence level is, is through the roof. And he's easily been a key factor, if not one of the most important parts of the success the team has and where we're at right now. Uh, you continue to take names uh, right off of my list of topics that I wanted to ask you about. And uh, you mentioned Evan Rodriguez there. And Chris McFarland's been so good at finding guys that have been great fits in Colorado. And I think of uh, Valerie Nachushkin. I think of how good a fit Arturi Lekkinen's been with the group uh, since coming over and signing the extension. It feels like Evan Rodriguez is another player in that list of guys that have come into Colorado and really found uh, a nice fit there with the Avalanche. 
Absolutely. Evan Rodriguez has been one of my favorite players to work with this season. From an interview standpoint, he's absolutely fantastic. And you know when you're a reporter, if a guy gives a good interview, they they work their way up the (laughs) rankings really quickly. But from an on-ice perspective, just seeing what he did with Pittsburgh, he played every game last year, and he kind of spoke about how the last few seasons with Pitt, with the injuries they suffered, he was able to just get that opportunity to be in the top six and when you're playing consistently and you're playing with good players, your confidence grows. And he said that last year with Pittsburgh, getting as much ice time as he did, he started to just feel more confident in himself, and it really paid off. It made a difference. He also has an incredible hockey IQ, which is why you see him being able to play with the guys that he does so seamlessly. It's not easy to just jump onto a line and play with Sidney Crosby. The same thing can be said for jumping into this avalanche group and being able to work on the top power play unit with Nathan McKinnon. And because of his hockey IQ and just the way he sees the game and all the little things that he does so well, he's become a perfect fit for this group and also a really nice utility guy in the sense that coach feels comfortable putting him into any situation and putting him with any line. He just, he's consistent no matter who he's with. And that is so valuable. Judy, I'm really curious what the mood's been around the team this year, because obviously you're going to be content coming off of a Stanley cup victory. That's always how it's going to be, but it's interesting because we always talk about Stanley Cup windows and how long you have to compete, all those sort of things. And then, look, it was a down start for Colorado, but you could pretty easily correlate it to injuries. Now the group's getting healthier. You're starting to see more of what maybe we expected from this Avalanche team. Has there always been that sort of confidence in this group that, hey, if everybody gets healthy, we're going to get to where we need to get to? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I would say earlier in the year, there was definitely the excuse to be made with the injuries. But that being said, in terms of being, you know, oh, well, we just won the cup. Like, there was absolutely no sense of being comfortable with that being enough. There were nights you go into that locker room after a loss early in the season, and it was absolutely dead silent. These guys are angry. They do not want to lose. And to be that upset about losing a game coming off of a Stanley Cup, I think, speaks volumes about the compete level of this team and how they are still absolutely not satisfied. They absolutely want to do it again. They're truly motivated to be able to pull off what Tampa did. And I think that's that's kind of why there's this consistently high level of expectation amongst them. And when they fall short, you see it all over all of their faces. I mean, it would be easy to say, Oh, you know, tough loss tonight on a back to back, like yeah, just kind of write it off, but they're, they're not doing that. I think that's kind of just a, a testament to the culture that's been built. And even without Landis Gog in the locker room that has rubbed off a lot of it is coach Bednar as well. Um, but to switch gears to this second half. And now that things are kind of, trending in a better direction. The injuries have been lessened. Um, You're starting to see the confidence come through, but you're also just seeing like the excitement and the urgency picking up. Coach said it yesterday after practice. When you come in after winning the cup and you've played that many games, you look at a full schedule again, and it can be a little overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, 82 games. Like we have to get through all that again. Now you're, you're, you're cutting it in half and you're seeing a little bit of the finish line with this trade deadline coming up and then with the playoffs looming and the races tightening. And I think the group is really feeding off of that and is starting to feel like this is the fun part of the year. This is the excitement. They're remembering how last season felt and you're seeing that rubbing off on the games and the urgency they're playing with as well. What is the feel for this group uh, a week out from the trade deadline? Nathan McKinnon obviously gets a very well-deserved raise starting next year and that'll affect things 
For the salary cap, there's a couple of interesting UFAs that we've talked about, whether it was Comfer or Evan Rodriguez. Is there a sense that this group is hungry to make a move ahead of the trade deadline, or is this a case of, hey, maybe that guy that you and me have talked about a couple times that's back skating in Gabriel Landeskog, he could be the sort of <laughs> quote-unquote big acquisition that comes in the second half of the year? Well, for sure, the best trades you make are the ones you don't have to. Getting yeah. guys just boosted up from within your own organization, like a Landis Gog, you can't really ask for a better trade deadline deal than that. But I think it kind of just goes back to what uh, Chris McFarland and Joe Sackick have kind of always said. You know, I'm not a GM, but they, they talk all the time about how, listen, we are always trying to get better. If there's a deal that makes sense for us to be able to get better without injuring what we have, then they're definitely in the mix. Like, I mean, they're certainly not going to turn down opportunities but they feel really confident with what they have right now it's tough too coming off of last year when you look at some of the incredible pieces that were brought in you mentioned Lekin and earlier Andrew Cagliano is another one you see those moves and you see how impactful they were in the outcome of the playoffs and you think to yourself well you have to be doing something but again I think it just kind of comes back to if there's a move that's going to help the team and it's going to make it better for all aspects then they're definitely in the market, but that being said, they've got a whole lot of good things going on internally as well. Uh, one of the guys that uh, I definitely wanted to highlight with you, and you talked about him a bit earlier, was uh, Alexander Gorgiev. And what a you know an interesting spot it was for him walking into Colorado. He's one of the guys, one of the few guys on this team, Katie, that didn't win a Stanley Cup last year, but suddenly joins a group that probably still has Stanley Cup aspirations. How has it been for him in Colorado, you said earlier it really feels like he's taken on that number one role here in Colorado, and I'm curious how you've seen that sort of evolve from when he came into the organization in the trade in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that he said to us when he got into town was, you know, the reason that he's here is because he wanted the opportunity to be a number one. And obviously with the way things played out with Sturkin in New York, that wasn't going to happen. So he is extremely hungry to prove himself. He's also extremely young still. I mean, for a goaltender, there's so much possibility and so much growth still to be had. I think earlier in the year, you saw him adjusting to a new system and to a new team and just some of the pressures of, of establishing that he is a number one goaltender, that he can handle that. And there were times this season when Frankie would go down and he was really heavily relied upon and probably over leaned on. And we saw some, some of that, but he got a really nice reset right after the uh, Christmas break there. And it's kind of just been upwards ever since we've really seen him growing in his confidence, growing more comfortable working with this group. He works harder than just about anybody I've seen. And I actually had a chance to chat with him the other day following that Minnesota game because Henrik Lundqvist had done the broadcast on TNT and had so many good things to say. And I asked Georgiev a lot about how, how working with Hank had impacted him as a goalie. And he said he learned so much about just what it takes and how you have to carry yourself and the way that you need to respond, you know, after a tough loss from his early years as a rookie playing under Lundqvist. And I think you're starting to see him now taking those lessons and really applying them and feeling confident being the guy for this team and and they certainly love playing with him and working with him and it's been it's been really enjoyable to watch and in my opinion I think that it's only going to continue to grow as the season continues that's awesome uh Katie thanks so much for the time today I really do appreciate it I know it's a game day uh, against Winnipeg but always (laughs) love to get a perspective on the next Flames opponent so uh, enjoy the game tonight enjoy the game tomorrow have a great rest of the season thanks for checking in with us here in Calgary 
for sure. And take care of my boys, Uyghur and Huberto from the Panthers. <laughs> Those are still my guys. So you guys better take good care of them. I'm sure you are. We will. Thanks, Katie. Thanks so much. Take care. Katie Gauss joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline for a look at the opposition on this Friday afternoon. Flames and Avalanche tomorrow night, part of Hockey Night in Canada, but the Avalanche in Winnipeg tonight. Uh, one of those weird back-to-backs that you get sometimes in the NHL. Uh, Colorado's got to go into Winnipeg tonight, and they're back at home against Calgary, so the Flames will actually be the more rested of the two teams come tomorrow's game. Whether that means anything or not, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, it just seems very odd to me. Then the uh, uh, Avalanche against the Vegas Golden Knights uh, to end off February on the 27th. They've got a very home-heavy schedule, uh, and don't count Colorado out in all of this. They have come back to uh, take a wild card spot with this 6-2-2 two, and two run. They've won three in a row, and Kale McCarr dealing with some injuries, but sounds like from Katie's perspective, he's skating, getting closer to coming back. Same thing goes for Gabriel Landeskog, and I got to be honest, I don't know how much I buy into the strength of schedule thing, but you look at this calendar for the Colorado Avalanche into March, and you see a lot of, hmm, three games against Arizona. Uh, A couple matchups with San Jose. Chicago is mixed in there, even into the early weeks in April. Two more games against San Jose. They've got a matchup against Anaheim mixed in there. If this is a team that plays up to their expectations, there could be a lot of points coming Colorado's way, and I don't think there's a single team right now in the NHL, especially in the Western Conference, which has sort of been devoid of that massive juggernaut team. Colorado's got the potential to be one, and they don't even have to do anything at the trade deadline. They, they, they don't. And to be honest, it's been pretty quiet when you talk about teams that are in that mode about buying in the next week and really setting up for a playoff run. Colorado doesn't have to do any of that. Kale McCarr gets healthy. Landis God gets healthy and plays for the first time this season. That adds to Lekin, who's having a great year. That adds to Ranton, who we talked about. Nathan McKinnon is not scoring at the same pace he has in his career because he's had to pick up some other things. But guess what? That team gets healthy gives him some more room to do what he does offensively. And I don't think it's far off to say that the Colorado Avalanche could get back to juggernaut status and still might be, despite this poor start that they had because of all these injuries, they could still be the best team in the Western Conference that no one's talking about right now. Uh, I know a lot of teams would not like to see Colorado on their uh, round one playoff card. So we'll see what happens. Flames and Avalanche tomorrow. That's a 8 p.m. puck drop note the start time uh, for Hockey Night in Canada. That means that Lubardius and Steinberg have Flames warm up at 7. Puck drop with Wills and Lubardius at 8 right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. That'll do it for Sportsnet today. Thank you to Katie Gauds for joining us. Thank you to Jason Bukala and Peter Lubardius, all of those up at sportsnet.ca slash 960 or wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Shout out to our outstanding production team of Cam and Taylor on this Friday. We will be back on a Monday, break down the weekend that was for the Calgary Flames, and continue to look ahead at the trade deadline. Next Friday, we're a week away, right, Taylor? Only a week away, not two weeks away. Wow, you messed up the name, too. What did I say? I said Taylor. You said Kaler. No, I didn't. 
Cam Taylor. That's your that's the mixed name. That's what I call both of you. Is this like towel all over again? Exactly, it's exactly like towel okay, all over got again. It. Good. Got okay. it. Good. Got it. Great. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on a Monday. You're on Sportsnet 960 the fan.